We begin a new sermon series today in 1 Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. At my parents' house in South Carolina, they have a deck that extends off of their uh, second story, and it is supported by these four-by-four wooden columns that are resting on a concrete slab at the base. And when they built this house, uh, it, the deck was built, the concrete slab went in, and, and years after the house was built, they noticed that the concrete slab started to fall, sink, settle, and pull away from the house. And of course, as that happened, the deck started to fall, sink, and, and pull away from the house as well. So they, they had this uh, metal pole, extending pole uh, installed that would go from the concrete slab up to the deck, and you could adjust the pole. In other words, you could jack the uh, the deck up to make it level. What they learned is that when this construction company built the house, they never installed a footer, which is basically just an underground support column underneath the slab. They just built this concrete slab on top of the dirt. And so over the years, with rain and moisture, the slab started to settle, and the house was built into a steep hill. And so right off the back of that slab is this steep hill. So you know, the fear is that eventually the slab is just going to slide off down into uh, the lake. But the, the, the foundation was unstable. It was an unstable foundation. We're two and a half months or so into this pandemic. It has caused stress. It has caused despair. It has caused exhaustion. It has caused disorientation, and it's left our world grasping for hope. Much of the hope that is being grasped for or pursued is founded upon favorable circumstances or a change in circumstances. And circumstances are an awful foundation for hope. This pandemic is evidence of it. Before it came, the economy was booming. Unemployment was at historical lows. And then within weeks, that all changed. Hope that is founded upon circumstances is like a house built on shifting sands or like my parents' deck and concrete slab built on dirt that is settling. So what is stable or indestructible hope Founded upon? Well, Peter gives the answer here at the end of verse 2 in his greeting. He says, May grace be multiplied to you. Hope is founded upon grace. But what kind of grace? First, hope is founded upon the grace of the Father's love. Look at verse one. To those 
who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter's writing to a people who are living in a region that is the modern-day nation of Turkey. And he calls them exiles. The word here means foreigner. In the first century, a foreigner was a person that, that was not a citizen of the place where they resided. And so the lack of citizenship would keep them from enjoying the rights and privileges of those who were citizens. And oftentimes a foreigner had values that would clash with the values of the place they were residing in. And so these were exiles. But not only exiles, Peter says exiles of the dispersion. Now what does that mean? Well, there's a couple thoughts here. One could be that these were believers, followers of Jesus Christ who lived in Rome, and then Rome in the first century had several waves of deporting people across into their various colonies. So these could have been believers in Rome that got deported into these foreign places. Or it could be that Peter is just bringing up and drawing on language in Israel's history in the Old Testament. When Israel got deported to Babylon, they were taken into exile in Babylon. Either way, or whatever Peter is talking about here, we know this, that he is teaching that every believer is an exile or a foreigner in a place in which they reside because the ways of God oftentimes clash with the ways of the world or the values of the kingdom of God clash with the values of the world. And so these believers in the first century were facing all kinds of trial, adversity, suffering, persecution because of that. And today it's similar. It can be difficult. It can be disheartening, disorienting to be a follower of Jesus Christ living in an unbelieving world. It's disheartening when you see someone at your job get promoted who constantly cuts corners and is cheating. Or it's extremely isolating when your friends don't call you or invite you to participate in some activity or some party because they know that you're a believer and that you probably wouldn't want to participate or that you wouldn't approve of what's happening. That can be incredibly isolating. So the question becomes, in the middle of this isolation or being marginalized or uh, uh, persecuted, whatever form it takes, where's your hope founded upon? So verse one, to those who are elect or chosen exiles, verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now Peter is saying something incredibly powerful right here to these believers who are receiving this letter in the first century, and it's this. He's saying to them, your suffering, your adversity, your trials are not the result of your sin. They're the result of you being chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, th this could be surprising to them because in the Old Testament, when you look at Israel being taken into exile, why were they taken into exile in Babylon? Because of their sin, because of their idolatry. But Peter's saying here, no, no, just the opposite. That you're suffering, you're experiencing adversity and trial, not because of your sin, and quite just the opposite. We'll see in chapter two, they were doing good, but because you're chosen. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, it was because of their relationship with God and Christ that they were, their relationship with society had become strained and troubled. 
So what does it mean that they're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God? Well, here's what foreknowledge doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God had advanced notice of something that was gonna happen in the future. Foreknowledge does not mean that God looked into the, into the future, saw that you would repent, turn from your sin, and turn to Christ, and then chose you. No, the word foreknowledge here is used one other time in the New Testament. And it's in Acts 2.23. It describes how Jesus was handed over for crucifixion by God's will and foreknowledge. Foreknowledge there is speaking of God's grand purpose from eternity past. So what we learn here is that foreknowledge means, chosen according to God's foreknowledge, means that he sets his love upon you in eternity past, before the world was ever founded. In fact, Ephesians 2, Paul says it this way, that you are chosen, or same word, elect, before the foundation of the world. That means that God loved you before you ever had a chance to sin or not sin. That he set his love on you because he set his love on you, period. If God's love was not connected to your behavior in eternity past because you weren't even created in this world yet, nor was the world created, then why would his love be connected to your behavior today? If you didn't earn his love, then why do you think you can lose it now? This pandemic has been brutal. It's been brutal. Those who struggle with addiction have relapsed. Those that never struggled with anger have found themselves getting angry on a level that has scared them. Those that have been profoundly sad or stressed in this pandemic have turned to overeating or overdrinking or escaping to fantasy land and viewing pornography or whatever it may be. Tensions are running high in families. Tensions are running high in marriage. Tensions are running high in the workplace with coworkers in meetings. And spiritual rhythms and spiritual disciplines have taken a hit. More than ever, this is a time to be reminded that God loves you. In the midst of your anger outbursts, he loves you. In the midst of your relapse, he loves you. God's love is not like a water spigot that gets turned on and off. That's how the world's love works. The spigot turns on when you perform or when you do certain things, but when you don't, the spigot gets turned off. Listen, God's love was turned on in eternity past and placed on you. He set his affections upon you. It is the one steady in your life in the peaks and valleys. Hope is founded upon the grace of the Father's love. But second, 
Hope is founded on the grace of the Spirit's transformation. The Spirit's transformation. Look at verse two. So again, verse one, Peter says, you are elect or chosen exiles. Verse two, in the sanctification of the Spirit. So salvation begins with God setting his love upon you. The question becomes, how do you become aware of that love? The answer is the work, the work of the Spirit. Now, the sanctification that Peter is talking about here is not primarily the transformation of your character over a lifetime. That is true and valid. That is a, an aspect of sanctification. But the sanctification that Peter is talking about here is the initial cleansing. The initial cleansing and that initial submission to Jesus Christ or that initial conversion to placing faith in Jesus Christ. We often talk about the work of the Holy Spirit after faith to sanctify, but we oftentimes neglect the work of the Holy Spirit prior to faith, prior to faith. Right? The Holy Spirit enables you to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we, how do we know that? Well, down in verse three, which we'll get to next week, Peter says, God has caused us to be born again. That God has caused us to be born again. Now that phrase, born again, most often is used in our world in regards to faith to be the result of faith, right? So trust Jesus Christ and you'll be born again. The scriptures teach just the opposite. That you're actually born again so that you can trust Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit rebirths you. John chapter three speaks of this. Jesus says in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse five, unless one is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit rebirths you and gives you a new heart, enabling you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you and I would never choose Jesus Christ given an infinite number of chances. Martin Luther, when he was describing or giving commentary on the third part of the Apostles' Creed, that phrase that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. He said this, I believe that by my own understanding or strength, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. So faith is a gift. Ephesians 2 describes it that way. It's a gracious act of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit rebirths you, and gives you a new heart to place your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit sets you apart. Sets you apart. That's actually what the word sanctification means, to be set apart for a special purpose in God's grand plan for his world. It's to be set apart. Now, this would have been shocking news to those that were receiving this letter because Peter is primarily writing to Gentiles. 
to Gentiles. But he's using language that was used to address God's special chosen people, the Jews in the Old Testament, right? A chosen people set apart for God's purposes, sprinkled by blood, which is Exodus 24, which we'll get to. And yet what they hear is that all this language is being used to address them. And in the first century, Gentiles were often looked down upon. They were often seen as second-class citizens. And yet you're, they're hearing this language that they have been chosen and that they have been set apart by the Holy Spirit for a special purpose. There's a museum in St. Louis, Missouri. It's called the City Museum. And it is literally a city of junk. It's, it's pieces from the city of St. Louis that have been pulled together to make a museum. It's, it's composed of pieces of St. Louis that have been demolished, abandoned, thrown away as useless. And so there's concrete, there's rebar, rusty gears, cinder blocks, ceiling panels broken tiles, shards of pottery, empty beer kegs, broken bottles, all these things that had been tossed aside as useless or worthless. They no longer belonged, and yet the builders of this museum had a very different idea of that. And they took this trash, they took this stuff from the junk pile, and they built this museum it became a, a beautiful, eclectic playground for children and adults. And in this museum, there's, a, there's scraps that had been transformed into a swampland forest that people can swing through. There's a maze of bank safes and mirrors. There's a room full of ladders and slides. Uh, on one area, they can, uh, adults and children can climb through huge gerbil tunnels that are made out of rebar into a broken airplane suspended in the air. There's a dilapidated school bus hanging off the side of the building. It's this surprisingly beautiful museum. And it's a beautiful picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes lives, removes lives from the junk pile of sin and brokenness and places them in the special pile to be used by God for a specific purpose. You may think you've made a mess of your life. You may have think that, that you've wasted your life. You may think that your life is beyond rescue. And if that's you, welcome to the club. Because the church is not a community of people who have scratched and clawed themselves out of the junk pile of sin and brokenness and somehow made their way over to this special pile that God uses for his purposes. No. The church is full of people that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit would still be in the junk pile of sin and brokenness unfit for God. And yet that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes lives out of the junk pile, so to speak, and he places them in this special ch pile chosen by God to be used for his 
specific purposes. The Holy Spirit miraculously takes hold of a person on the inside and brings them to faith in Christ and sets them apart. Respond. Respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. Place your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died to pay the penalty for your sin, the one who raised to give you new life. And find that unique purpose that God has set you apart for. What is hope founded upon? The grace of the Father's love. The grace of the Spirit's transformation. And finally, the grace of Christ's sacrifice. Verse one, you are elect or chosen. Exiles, verse two, at the end, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. God sets his love upon you in eternity past. The Holy Spirit makes you aware of that love to respond to that love shown in Christ to be set apart, but towards what end? And here we see it. Towards what purpose? For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. Now this refers back to Exodus chapter 24, verses three through eight, where God's people are assembled, gathered at the base of Mount Sinai, and God gives his people the Ten Commandments through Moses. Moses builds an altar at the base of Sinai, and he begins sacrificing animals, and the blood is collected in basins. And then the commandments are given to the people, and here's how they respond. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And then it says that Moses took the blood and threw it on them. Now, what a scene. They pledge their obedience, and then they get showered with blood. Now, now what's going on here? What's going on here? It, it's, a, it's almost a little bit comical when they say that we're gonna do all the Lord asks us to do, and we're gonna be obedient, because you know how quickly and how far they fall and disobey. It, it's almost comical, but what it what it does reveal and what it gives us a picture of is what Peter is describing here. That when the Holy Spirit gets hold of your heart and rebirths you and gives you a new heart, he gives you new desires. And now you have desires to honor God, which you never had before. You have desires to honor Christ. You have desires to be obedient. But the problem is you quickly find out that those desires oftentimes fail to actually make it into obedience. And so in the Christian life, there's this struggle, oftentimes bringing you to, to deep places of frustration and maybe even despair when those desires for obedience turn into failed obedience. And this is where the sprinkling of blood comes in. At the base of Sinai, what's important to notice is that God's people were sprinkled with not their own blood, they were sprinkled with the blood of a sacrifice. They didn't pay for their disobedience with their own blood. Their disobedience was paid for by the blood of another. And that is moving us and pointing us forward to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His blood that was shed in our place 
to pay the penalty for our disobedience. So in the Christian life, you have this cycle of obedience and then disobedience. You pledge obedience and then quickly you have failed obedience. And it can lead to a deep place of despair. Then on the heels of desiring to obey and you quickly sin, you begin asking questions like, am I, am I genuine in my belief? Do I really believe? Am I really saved? Am I foolish to think that I am really in Christ? Why would I fall so quickly into sin? The desire to obey and the failure to obey will commingle in your life until Jesus returns. And so you celebrate the desire to obey. That when that desire is there to obey, you immediately celebrate it because that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you. Because if the Spirit had not rebirthed you, you'd never have that desire. So you celebrate the desire to obey. And then when you fail miserably, rather than beating yourself up, rather than immediately questioning, do I really believe? Rather than trying to, to beat yourself up to make God sure that you're really sorry, right? embrace forgiveness. You embrace the forgiveness of Jesus Christ after you failed the 20th time that day, you embrace the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, his blood that takes away your sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 22 say it this way. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near, near, not, not move away, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. There's the sprinkling of blood. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I shared this several weeks ago in uh, one of the Psalm devotionals I did on Facebook Live. You know, we have this pool in our neighborhood and the middle section of the pool is three feet deep. The outer ends of the pool are five to six feet deep. And years ago, when my daughter was, our daughter was a toddler, uh, and she had just learned to swim, sometimes she would forget that she could stand in that three-foot section with her head above the water. And so having just learned to swim, she'd maybe jump in on the deep end, and she'd start swimming over to the shallow end, and, and she would start breathing heavy, and it was a, it was a long way. And she'd get to that shallow end and she'd be in the three-foot water and she'd be struggling to keep her head above water. And sometimes she'd even get to that point of starting to panic to keep her head above water. And I'd look at her and I'd say, just stand up. You're in the shallow end. Just stand up. And she would stand up and the struggle would be gone and the panic would leave her face and there would be a smile of relief. When you find yourself failing, and you find yourself in sin, 
on the heels of this pledge of obedience, just stand on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Stand and know that your guilt has been taken away and that you're forgiven. You know, in the midst of your repeated failure, the question is not, is God going to forgive me again? That question has been settled. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin, past, present, future, from you. He took it from you. He doesn't give it back. Yes, God has forgiven you in Christ. The question you must ask is, am I going to embrace this forgiveness that Jesus bought with his blood? Let me take you back to the settling concrete slab at the back of my parents' house. You know, that slab continued to settle, and that metal pole that was adjustable continued to would have continued to go higher and higher to keep the deck from falling. And had it gone on and nothing happened, that pole would eventually run out of length and it would have been useless. So my parents called this company and this company came and they injected uh, this footer underneath the slab, basically an underground column. And they injected it under the, 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 the concrete slab, jacked it up, and they ran this footer all the way down to solid rock. And so this slab on the back of my parents' house doesn't move anymore because it's on a solid, solid foundation. Hope is founded upon grace. Not your performance. Not your positive thinking. Not your hard work. Hope is founded upon grace. If you want indestructible hope, then you need regular injections of God's grace. And that's what Peter says at the end of verse two. He says, may grace be multiplied to you. That means increased into your life. Over and over, may grace be multiplied to you. And then Peter says at the end of his letter, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. And then listen to what he says. Stand firm in it. Why? Because your hope is founded upon it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are amazed by your grace. We're amazed by the truth that you set your love upon us in eternity past, that your love's not connected to our behavior, that it's unconditional. We're amazed by the fact that your Holy Spirit was working in our lives long before we ever placed our faith in Jesus. And Father, we're amazed by the grace of Jesus Christ.
that when we fail, and we do it repeatedly, daily, that we can come boldly to your throne, stand on the person and work of Christ, and embrace the forgiveness that is ours. Oh, Father, I pray for those that are listening that maybe have never trusted Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, pray that you would do that work of stirring their heart, of giving them a new heart, that they would respond by placing their faith in you, Jesus, and that they would experience the joy of being set apart for the glorious purpose that you have for their lives. Oh, Father, would you make us not just individuals that found our hope on grace, would you make us a church, a community in this city that founds our hope upon grace and grace alone? And we pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.